Hello, and welcome to episode 120 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Podcast. It's a podcast, not a podcast. If you are tuning in to find out about ponds and learn about frogs and tadpoles and fish, you are gravely in for disappointment because this is a podcast about hotel marketing. I am your host, Stuart Butler. I am joined today, and we are mixing this up, guys. You are going to be in for a treat. We don't have the normal crew. We have some millennials on here. One is returning co-host, Jeremy Razook. Hey, everyone. You didn't know whether to say anything there or not, did you? I was going to say, what's up? Yeah. He's a rude millennial. He is. And then, just chipping in there, for her first time on the show, is Miss Alyssa Fate. How are you, Alyssa? Good. How are you? You ready to impress? (laughs) Is that a guess? (laughs) I think that's a guess. It's a maybe. It's a maybe. Well, I think you're ready to impress. I think everyone's going to be impressed. The reason we have the millennials on, and we were going to get Brittany too, because she is a millennial, is we're going to be, we're breaking new ground here. So, everyone's been fearful in creating these crazy articles about how you guys, the millennials, are the death of society and how you're destroying everything we knew and, you know, all the all these stereotypes. And now it's beginning to happen with the next generation. Generation Z, if you're from the motherland, or Generation Z, if you're from the Americas. I don't know what they call it in other languages, but we're going to stick to Generation Z since most of our audience is American on the show. But we're going to talk about what the different generations are, and we're going to go over this amazing article. And I say amazing because most of their content is amazing, although this one I have some issues with. But it's from a company called WordStream, which they have pay-per-click software. We've we've covered a couple of their articles before on the show. So we're going to be going after over one of their articles, which is five marketing strategies that you need to employ to target Generation Zs, Zers, Zetas. And uh, we're going to be talking about that, but we're going to kind of parlay that in with some millennial talk and just talk a little bit in general about how ridiculous it is how people treat you guys like misfits and like you're a completely different species i think personally that you guys represent the human race fairly well so that's just my opinion thank you compliment from Stuart. yeah i know it's one of these rare things only happens when i'm recording (laughs) but before we get into that ladies and gentlemen Let's see what's going on in the news ruse With hotel marketing that cannot lose, now it's time for news ruse Guys, what'd you think of that new jingle we got? Oof. Pete's a little flat. Yeah, a little bit. That's okay. All right, so Jeremy, kick us off with a news So, <clears throat> Google My Business has recently added a hotel attributes section to the listing. So if you're a hotel, there's a little <clears throat> extra highlights and features and amenities that you can add to your listing um, some of them and some of them include room details mm-hmm. and it's they've gotten really granular for hotels now and I don't know if it's because I know hotels can't write a description into their listing but yeah. now we do have a little more granular granular take on amenities that a hotel can offer yeah do you think this is a prelude to Google starting to monetize these attributes do you think there's going to be a time when we're going to have to pay more for stuff on Google, my business. Absolutely. Yeah, me too. I mean, this is inevitable, right? Google's going to get more granular and granular in, in specific verticals. They're going to add more features that are specific to them. And then eventually they're going to start charging us through the nose to get it, just like we've seen on organic search. Right. So, 
Yeah, that's a good one. But you should absolutely, if you're listening, go and add your attributes. Yeah, you definitely need to update that if you haven't already. For sure. We probably need to go back and update the notes on that show we did because we did an episode on how to maximize your Google My Business. But, the, you know, that that's one, these attributes. But you also should be paying attention to the Q&A stuff that's on there, the frequently asked questions, and in, in just making sure that you're doing everything you can to optimize that entire experience right. for the guest. Alyssa, do you have a, do you have a newsaroo? I do. All right. All right. In a recent report published by the Wall Street Journal, it looks like Airbnb's room nights have surpassed Expedia by more than 10 million, looking 91 million for quarter one for Airbnb and 81 million just about for Expedia. Yeah, does it list booking.com on that same article as well? It does, but I purposely left that one out. Yeah, because they're, they're a good bit higher than both, right? Yeah, so booking holdings, it's listed as, is yep. 217 million room nights for quarter one. Yeah, so I we talked about this article a little bit earlier today on this Week in Hospitality digital marketing show uh, with Lauren Gray. And you know, one of the points I brought up was... I'm not entirely sure I'm confident in the the Airbnb number being apples to apples comparison. And the article kind of touched on this too, right? Because it, it's shocking when you hear Airbnb is essentially outperforming Expedia from a volume standpoint in hotel rooms. You know, Expedia still makes a ton more money because it's got other forms of travel. It's got cars and, and airlines and, and whatnot. But from a heads in beds perspective, this article on the surface says Airbnb is shifting more travel more heads in beds than Expedia is and I I don't know if that's true or not and and one of the things that is interesting is Airbnb wouldn't re- be transparent about their data they weren't revealing because they're not a publicly traded company they don't have to be there's no one saying they have to but they weren't uh, they wouldn't answer specific questions so one of the things that Ed St. Ange brought up on the show was well, what with Airbnb if you have a five bedroom place and one person books it does that count there's five room nights per night, right? Because it's technically five rooms. So there's definitely the potential of this being really good PR from Airbnb to flex their muscles prior to an IPO, as opposed to what the article is implying, which is Airbnb has more muscle now in the accommodation industry than Expedia, which is just flat out not right. Uh, but the other, the other point that was brought up, which I thought was interesting, was does this now give Expedia a glimpse into the potential say the numbers are true does this tell Expedia hey you don't have to bow down to the big flags as much as you are because the volume can exist without them so next time they negotiate with the Hiltons and the Marriott's of the world does it mean they don't have to give so many concessions to them because they'll be just fine without those guys on their platform so but it it is interesting It, it burns my buttons a little bit and gets my goat that our industry is so obsessed with airbnb in general and we fear we fear them like we fear millennials in they're going to be the death of the industry i don't think that's the case i think they've done a really good job carving out a niche in terms of their their size but it's mostly different types of inventory vacation rental type inventory i'd be more worried in that space than i am in the hotel space focus on your guest you're going to be just fine when it comes to what Airbnb is doing. And the reality is Airbnb is trying to become an OTA anyway. They're taking on more and more hotel inventory. So, yeah, just just focus on your guests. Don't try, don't get distracted by this. But it's, it's really, I think that, in, that article is going to get a lot of buzz in the next couple of weeks, Alyssa. A lot of sub-articles are going to be written from it. It's really cool. 
you have any opinions on that one, Jeremy? Do you use Airbnb? I haven't, actually. You have not? Do you yeah. stay in hotels? Traditional hotels? Yes, traditional hotels. Yeah. What about you? You've used both, right? I'm definitely price-based. Yeah. That's my decision maker. Um, I think it's interesting that Airbnb didn't release their revenue information. Right. Um, I typically don't book on Airbnb because their fees are so much higher. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And it, it, I guess it depends on the circumstance. Like if you're traveling with a group of people and you want to stay in a single place, you know, it's there's some benefits to Airbnb. But I, if you're if you're an independent hotel in a regular destination, I don't think you have to be doing all these things to try to compete with Airbnb. It's just one extra property. In Look at it as one extra property in your destination with however many rooms are on there. Pay attention to it, but I don't think you need to like too over the top in terms of worrying about it. Alrighty. So speaking about worrying about people, a lot of people have been worried about you millennial folks. I feel attacked. Yeah, you should. Is that a microaggression? Are you a snowflake? Because <laughs> that's one of the things that gets thrown around. So let, before we kind of get into Gen X, um, Gen Y, or millennials and, and Generation Z, and then you guys know what the next one's called after Generation Z because they're already being born. You seen this? How it's being coined? Gen Alpha. Your generation Alpha. That's right. It's very uh, wow. Well, because like, we run out of letters, right? We got to the end of the alphabet. Right, we yeah. had to start over again. <laughs> yeah, and then we're gonna jump into the to a different alphabet. But so, Alyssa, you want to go through just real quickly the different generations and and where they break down. When I was looking online, and and I've kind of always been a little confused. There's a lot of different differing opinions on when the breaks are. So this list is the best one I could find because it has a couple of kind of buffer zones. Like some people, like I was born in 1977. Some people say millennials run up through 1977. Some say they stop two or three years before that. So they, regardless, millennials can be as old as 39, 40 at this point, or, or maybe even a little older, depending on the list. But this, this is a good kind of rule of thumb. It's not a magical list, but certainly I think it's a good indication. All right, we'll start with... The first two really overlap, the lost generation or the interbellum generation, uh, aged between 104 to 130. I don't think we need to go into detail. There's not many of them left. So. <laughs> wow, that is super harsh. <laughs> Certainly not your to- your core target audience as a hotel, right? Well, maybe they are. I don't know. I hope I am at that age, but they're probably not listening to this podcast, so we can say whatever we want about them. All right, what's the next generation? The greatest generation, aged 95 to 109. I think we can safely lump those in with the last yeah, two. Yeah, so give the give the dates as well, like the years, because I think if someone listens to this at another point in time, it'll give them context. So the greatest generation was born between 1910 and 1924. Okay, and then it goes to the silent generation? 1925 to 1945. Aged 74 to 94. Yeah. So these are, again, these are the guys that are kind of winding out of, of what you would spend your primary focus on in terms of your, your budget, your marketing dollars, things like that. But now it starts to get interesting, right? Because now we're into the people that do have disposable income and are probably still fit and healthy enough and, and have the desire to travel. So next up. The baby boomer generation, much more popular, born between 1946 and 1964. 
It's like the arch nemesis of the millennial, right? <laughs> well, they, they hate you guys yeah. with a passion, right? Because they don't understand you and your technology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but guess what? This is this is a prelude to, to later in the show. The baby boomers hated my generation too. They hated Generation X. So the baby baby boomers hate everything? Well, they just, I think, every. well, no, because Generation X hates millennials. Millennials, you guys, guess what? You guys are going to hate Generation Z. And then Generation Z is going to hate yeah, I can Generation feel it. Alpha. I can already feel the hate. Yeah, it's, it's just people hate people that are younger than them because they always have it a little bit easier in that we always forget that they're younger than us. So they're going to act a certain way. They're going to act the way we did when we were younger. And we'll, we'll kind of talk about that in a little bit. All right, keep going. Next up is Gen X or Baby Bust, born between 1965 and 1979. I'm, I'm proud to be a Generation Xer. <laughs> or a Baby Bust. Yeah, I've never heard Baby Bust before. Keep going. Next up is Xennials, or as Jeremy pronounces it, Xennials. Born between 1975 and 1985, so it looks like the gaps are shortening. Yeah, and you see, again, there's some overlap there in the years, mm-hmm. because you could be a Generation Xer up to 79, but you could be a Xennial from 75, so I'm technically, could be either of those, and I really, I feel like I'm between those two generations, because there's stuff that happened early on in the Generation X that I was too young to really appreciate, and then I still identify myself with some of the things that millennials like. Like, I love avocado toast. It's delicious. <laughs> Just a, I'm kidding. I've never tried it. But I do like avocados, and I like toast, so what's not to love? All right, keep going. Next up is the infamous millennial, but born between 1980 and 1994. Um, also included in that is Gen Y and Gen Next. So that's 20, 20 what, 24 to 39? 25 to 39 25 to 39 so this is this is where it gets my goat a little bit because people still talk about millennials like they're little kids right up to 39 like a lot of millennials probably half of millennials at this point have settled down they're either you know with a fixed partner they're getting married they've had kids the the stereotypes just don't apply to at least half of your generation it's crazy i mean jeremy case in point you just got married and you're not even 30 yet. It's true. Not even close to 39. Yeah. So I just I just think we we tend to sensationalize what it means to be a millennial. So and that's kind of the point that you're going to see throughout this episode. All right. And then what's after you guys? Next up is the iGen or Gen Z, born between 1995 and 2012, ages ages 7 to 24. Yeah, so these are the folks just coming into the workforce. So these are the ones that are going to start taking the heat off of you guys. You know, when we start talking about lazy people that don't that have high expectations and sense of entitlement and all this stuff, that's going to start deflecting because that used to be targeted at me, and then you took the crown, and then these next guys will take the crown, and then rounding us off, who's next? Gen Alpha, born between two thousand thirteen and two thousand twenty-five. So they're the people being born now up through about six years old. Mm-hmm. So we don't need to worry about them. If, you're, if your marketing strategy targets people under six, then... I don't know. They have cell phones pretty young now. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Certainly swiping tablets That's before true. six uh, years old. Yeah, lots of ad clicks from five-year-old fingers. That's right. Especially yeah, YouTube. So. Right, lots yeah. Lots of YouTube ads. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. 
So that, that's the breakdown, right? So, but the point I want to take from that is these are kind of arbitrary. I mean, there's certain things that define a generation, right? When you look at the boomers, it's, you know, post-war, you've got this whole hippie movement coming through. There's a lot of things. Generation X was supposedly rebellious, and there's a lot of political change going on with you guys. You know, there's a technical revolution. You guys have been born and grown up with cell phones being a thing and in tablets and touchscreens and all these things that baby boomers don't understand. So, and 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 I think the next generation is going to be growing up with artificial intelligence being a, a major part of their life, right? So there's always new things coming along, which means that for for example, you guys have grown up with technology. You're a lot more comfortable than, with technology than say the average boomer. You you can intuitively pick up a new technology device and figure it out on your own, whereas someone that's a little more fearful of that because it's not native to them, um, you know, it's a little different. And that's why you see, I saw a report this week that talked about how online bookings worldwide are increasing more than twice as fast as travel is in general. But you think about it, it makes sense, right? There's more younger people coming in that are comfortable booking online and more older people dying off that were the ones using the phone. So you would expect to see that trend to continue. So that being said, I want to have a little fun here. Let's let's look at some quotes to 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 point out what I was trying to say before about how you guys get a bad rap, but we got a bad rap and the people before us got a bad rap and it's always going to happen because it's not really about your generation, it's about you being younger. So let's go through some quotes. Some targeted millennials, some not, and then we'll compare them. So what's the first one? The first one, they are entitled, is the accusation. The quote is... Have you ever heard that? Has, has anyone ever told you that you are entitled? My grandfather tells me that every week. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever heard it, Jeremy? A few times. Yep. All right. The quote is, the prevailing narrative about members of Generation Y is that they are a fleet of job hoppers who think they're above the grunt work of an entry-level position. In other words, not the most desirable employees. And that is from the Irish Independent from 2017. Yeah, so I got all of these quotes from a really good article on Workweek. So we'll link to that. And there's a ton of them. We're going to pick some of our favorites here as, as a comparison. But go to the show notes, which is fueltravel.com slash podcast, click on episode 120, and you'll get links to all these original sources. So that was the millennial version, basically saying that you guys... We suck yeah, as employees. Yeah, <laughs> that you're entitled and you don't want to work these kind of jobs. So what? let's, let's see that in contrast, shall we, Jeremy? So the next quote is, the traditional yearning for a benevolent employer who can provide a job for life also seems to be on the wane. In particular, they want to avoid low-level jobs that aren't keeping them intellectually challenged. All right, so that's saying the same thing, right? That you guys don't want to do grunt work, that you don't want to work for the man, you want to jump jobs as much as you can, right? That's so. Is that is that was that written about millennials? That was from 1995. Oh wow! So that was written about my generation. Can you believe it? Wow, Generation X has behaved exactly the same as the millennials. Weird. All right, let's keep going. What's the next one? So the next accusation is that they are terrible at spelling and grammar. And the millennial quote is, is it just me or are student competencies like basic writing skills in serious peril today? Teachers have been reporting anecdotally that even compared to five years ago, many are seeing declines in vocabulary, grammar, writing, and analysis. And that's from 2014. Wow. 
That's pretty brutal. I would feel really, really ashamed if I were you guys. Yeah, that's... That's pretty harsh. So what's your quote over there, Jeremy? So I have, the chairman alluding to the problem of young people and their English said his experience experience was that many did not seem able to express or convey to other people what they meant. They could not put their meaning into words and found the same difficulty when it came to writing. Wait, so, so they don't have a good vocabulary and they're not good at writing. So was that millennials? 1936. Oh, wow. So that's talking about like the greatest generation coming up. Not so great. Not so great if they couldn't spell and didn't have good grammar and vocabulary. It's because of the Oxford comma. It's, that's probably <laughs> ruined everything, I would imagine so. You're you're an advocate against the Oxford comma, aren't I you? I am. You're like passionately <laughs> against it. And I think everyone else in the office is pro pro. I think they Oxford are. Comma. Wow. It's that journalism background. Hey, when you when you take a stand, I, I'm... I appreciate that. That's good. Just takes up space. (laughs) All right. What's next? What's the next quote? The next accusation is that we reject history and tradition. And the quote is, they are the most threatening and exciting generation since the baby boomers brought about social revolution, not because they're trying to take over the establishment, but because they're growing up without one. Mm. That's from Time Magazine in 2013. Yeah. Talking about you millennials again. You just... You know, you don't care about it. You don't care about anything else. It's about me and my future. So what's your quote, Jeremy? Probably there is no period in history in which young people have given such emphatic utterance to a tendency to reject that which is old and to wish for what? For that which is new. (gasps) Wow. So that's millennials again, surely. It's got to be. No way. It's 1936. I would prefer if you read that in an accent of the time. (laughs) Yeah. Millennial, see, <laughs> that's probably even before that. I don't know. That's that when that's like when Amer- you were from Texas. That's when Americans sounded English back then. Right. Know? So you got to do your fake English accent. Just do an Abraham Lincoln. Probably. <laughs> that's a little. Not anything. <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, millennials are really good at impressions. That's the one thing I know. That's my stereotype. All right, what's next? We've got a couple more. Let's go through them quick. The next accusation is that we are overconfident. Just like Jeremy and his accent capabilities. Yep. The quote is, many of the millennials in today's workforce have more confidence than they do competence. That's from 2017. Well, I, I can absolutely go on record and say you two millennials have more competence than confidence. You're very competent. So I don't agree with that stereotype, but it is one that exists. So uh, <laughs> I was going to say millennial. So Jeremy, what's your quote? Young people are high-minded because they have not yet been humbled by life, nor have they experienced the force of circumstances. Oh, wait. So people are high-minded, meaning they're overconfident, but it's not because they're millennials. So this wasn't about millennials? When was this one said? You got to go back pretty far for this quote. Yeah? Like 1950? Farther. 1850? Farther back. All right, just tell us. Fourth century BC. What? That was that was who said that? Apparently Aristotle said this. The great Aristotle in the fourth century BCE. That is crazy. Apparently. Millennials existed. Just dissing younger people. Yeah. Wow. So it's not millennials. Let's do one more just for fun. All right. The last accusation is that they think they know best. Oh, this one and I could definitely agree with. <laughs> the quote is my huge 
my huge generalities touch on their ins- insistence that they are right despite the overwhelming proof that suggests they are not. Oh. It's from 2014. That sounds like people in this office. Definitely millennials. Definitely millennials. Now, what you got, Jeremy? They think they know everything and are always quite sure about it. It's very straight to the point. Wait, millennials again? Is that who that was? Is our good good old buddy Aristotle. Oh, back in the 4th century BCE again? Right. Wow. So young people were cocky back then. They couldn't write and speak. And all the stereotypes that you guys have as millennials today, what we're saying is, wait, it's not that you're a specific generation. It's that you're just young. And that's okay. And you're going to grow and change. And then the next generation will be young. And they'll do the same exact stuff. Yeah. We can say these things. But we really do know everything. According <laughs> <laughs> to Aristotle, you do. So, And he was a pretty smart guy. Right. Allegedly. I don't know. I never met him personally. But. All right. So, so I think we've established that there's a little bit of a misnomer here when it comes to how we talk about generations. Right. We oversimplify it in... in over label these people i think that the reality is like i said before older people tend to look differently at younger people than them what one because you know things and do things differently than we did because society changes and it always will but part of it too is we're jealous right because you do have it better and we're getting old and that kind of sucks so let's turn it a little bit and go to this WordStream article and look at what they're talking about which is really the topic today which is these strategies to target Generation Z people, which five years ago would have been the exact same article talking about how to target millennials, in 20 years from now will be the same article talking about how to t- target Generation Alphas. So let's go through these one through five, shall we? So let's start with number one. So sell experiences, but not products. So basically saying that Generation Z or maybe even some millennials uh, they don't want to hear about your product and why it's so amazing. They want to know how it's going to benefit them yeah, and how they're going to get an experience out of using it. But that, I mean, that's society in general, right? Brands aren't as valuable as they used to be for everyone, right? For everyone across the board. So, but it, but it is for the hospitality industry. It, it has always been and will always be a fact that you should focus on the experience of your guest, a hundred percent. Right? It doesn't matter whether you spend $100,000 or $50 on the sign out front and your branding and your position and stuff like that. If you don't give a great experience, you're not going to be a successful business. So that's what you need to focus on. Your website, your messaging, everything needs to focus on the experience you're going to give to that individual guest. Right. And the example that they provide is a clothing brand made in Italy, but based on their marketing, you would never know that. Um, all of the imagery is just California or beach or um, just kind of selling that experience. Yeah, so it's selling the experience of wearing it and showing people wearing it versus, hey, we're an Italian designer brand. Yeah, I mean, that's shifted, but it's not just for younger people. That's society has shifted. What matters has shifted. So that's okay. That's okay. We're not going to blame you millennials. We're certainly not going to blame the Generation Zs either. So number two, 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 two. Number two is video, 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 um, basically explaining that almost 100% of teenagers actively use 
video platforms such as YouTube, um, not only to just waste time, but they're expanding their knowledge or improving or gaining new skills. Um, and brands are using that to their advantage. Uh, the example they give here is Red Bull, just kind of featuring all kinds of active lifestyle videos in their channel rather than just selling their product. Yeah, and you know, they, Red Bull's been doing that for years, right? They've been embracing with their adventure sports and all these competitions they do and things like that. It's just, it again, it's it's kind of portraying a lifestyle similar to the first one, but doing it in a medium where people are actually going to consume. So th this is one where, yeah, everyone consumes more video, on-demand video, than they've ever consumed before. Certainly, back in Aristotle's day, he wasn't looking at YouTube because it didn't exist, right? So this isn't a Generation Z or a millennial th thing or a, the fault of them. It's just society now has this technology that didn't previously exist that is a good utility for consumers that we've chosen to replace our other things with. 50 years, or not 50, but 30 years ago, you would have said the exact same thing about TV, Right, because my generation were wasting our lives watching too much junk on television, and now kids are what wasting their time watching too much junk on YouTube. But guess what? I'm a generation Xer. I watch too much junk on YouTube. My wife watches too much junk on YouTube. My in-laws watch too much junk on YouTube. They're watching more than they ever did, and they'll watch more next year than they did this year because that's just a technology that now exists that we all choose to consume i watch way more online video than i do broadcast tv now and you're actively yeah. seeking that out rather than right. like a tv commercial that's being forced upon you um but they're much more relatable so people enjoy watching them yeah that's i love i mean the results we get from youtube video targeted youtube videos to people that we know have an affinity with our brand or that we have been to our website or met meet a certain criteria that we're trying to target it's way more effective for us as, as advertisers. But again, it has zero to do with Generation Z or, gener or Millennials. It has absolutely everything to do with consumer behavior today. Number three, 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 three. Rethink um, any major influencer campaigns. So kind of, if you're going with a bigger influencer, it may be a better idea to start using micro-influencers and where you where you can get a higher engagement through social media. Yeah, and we, we talked a lot on this show about influencers in recent months. You know, we did a couple of dedicated shows just to what is it, what is influencer marketing, how you can take advantage of it. We'll, we'll link to those in the show notes. Uh, but th this is a continuation of what we just talked about, right? And again, consume how we consume media has changed. And, and it makes sense that if we're on YouTube, we're on Instagram, or on Facebook, uh, we're going to gravitate towards niches that are interesting to us or that resonate with us. You know, so the people that are authorities in those spaces have more influence over us than, say, a celebrity used to, right? Because that that's now who we're consuming content from. It used to be we're limited in choice. And you know, Michael J Jordan could sell a ton of sneakers because I watched basketball and he was the icon of basketball, right? But now if I'm following Star Wars theory on YouTube, right, he becomes my influencer because he's the source of where I get my news. He's who I look up to. And so he can now introduce brands and 
manipulate me in a way that's going to lead me towards buying a product from someone that I wasn't aware of. So absolutely influencer marketing works 100%, but you got to do it the right way by picking the right audience, picking the right type of influencer that stands for the same things you do or at least is relevant to what you do and then you know do it authentically in the right way. And one takeaway from this item uh, that I found interesting was that Gen Z is more apt to favor on the side of unfiltered, messier approaches um, as opposed to like that perfect Instagram shot or that perfect Instagram ad. So um, just more relatable. And I definitely agree with that one because there are some micro influencers that I follow um, that I have unfollowed because they're just too perfect. And it's like, you know, you don't, I can't relate with you. Why am I? Yeah. Yeah. So I know you're being paid for this type of thing. Um, So just being a little more loose with that. You don't have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars anymore. Yeah, being authentic. Yeah. That's what makes it so much more relatable and why I think uh, going a a micro-influencer route is probably a better idea. Yeah. And again, that's not necessarily a generational thing. I think you guys adopted that earlier than other people because it was what you grew you grew up with, right? But YouTube fundamentally changed the need for production quality. You know, you have shows and ads and things and series that that are on YouTube and published directly on the web and even before YouTube on other channels that were very amateur looking. But the content is what mattered, right? The authenticity is what mattered. And that's what resonated with you and why you are willing to spend your time consuming that content versus something else. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I love high production quality movies and TV shows for the right, at the right time, right? Like game of Thrones, bazillions of dollars, every episode, great production quality, love that show. But then when I'm trying to get something that's a little more um, niche based or something that I want more frequently, in, in bite-sized pieces, I don't really care whether, you know, it's got CGI or whatever. It's, you know, it does need to be authentic. And again, I think everyone is leaning more that way. And it probably started more with younger folks. But to say that Generation Z cared less about production quality than millennials, I don't think is accurate. But I do think that you shouldn't focus as much on the production quality as you should on the quality of the content you're, you're producing. What number was that? I've lost count. We're on we number are approaching four. Four, oh, four, four, approaching. four, four. Number four is engage with customers, which I completely agree with. So this one just summarized responding to reviews or complaints or feedback to your brand in any way, uh, whether it be negative or positive, um, just acknowledging that you heard your consumer and you want to do everything you can to either thank them or make it right. And I can totally relate to something like this because I'm always looking at reviews before I make a purchase all the time. Like I'm doing my research and reviews are a big part of that. Yeah. And you know what? I, I didn't when I was your age. Do you know why? Because they didn't exist. You know? It's it's the same advocacy in general, reviews in general, social media in general. That Those are all fairly new things that when I was in my early 20s didn't exist. So clearly I didn't use them, but I've adopted them more and more and more as I've gotten older. But as you guys have grown up, as Generation Z grows up, 
absolutely you're going to adopt them because that's the norm. That's what exists. It's a tool that helps you do a better job of making a decision. So we we absolutely have to pay attention to that stuff today, and hotels especially is is you know it's it's often a decent size investment for someone to go stay at a hotel, especially if it's a week long vacation or something. Sometimes once a year. Yeah, exactly. People are saving up their hard earned money for a long time sometimes for that annual vacation. So you better believe that you have to focus on the on the guest experience and and. Make sure that they're happy. Make sure that you're engaging with them. Make sure that you're having a, a dialogue with them and building a relationship with them and all the things that make the hospitality industry the hospitality industry. And it takes some effort to leave a review. Um, it's a lot easier now than it was. But if someone leaves you some kind of feedback, uh, negative feedback especially, how many people didn't leave you feedback? So I would look at that as an opportunity to improve. Yeah, absolutely, and and you you know you you should leverage that as an opportunity to give feedback to all your staff and and make them one know that reviews are important to you as a leader within the organization. But two, we can be better tomorrow than we were today if we listen to our customers, take them seriously, and then let the customer know, hey, I'm listening. Because it's not just that one customer's disgruntled, it's also all the thousands of people that read the review. So making sure you publicly address their concern and yeah. tell them what you're doing to I fix it. I only read bad reviews before I stay somewhere. Yeah. Purposely. Yeah, because you want to know, is it is it the, the person that left the review is a crazy person? Or is there something legitimate that I actually care about? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes what people gripe about isn't something that bothers me. You know? Like I see somewhere people might... Con- complain that the rooms are too small or you know something silly to some people is important to others so i don't care how small the room is unless i'm traveling with my kids and then i might right but if i'm traveling on my own it's as long as there's a bed i don't really care how big the room is so what what some just makes someone disgruntled doesn't necessarily make everyone disgruntled so no and i think one more takeaway from this item in the article um especially for Gen Z, but not only Gen Z, um, if someone's going to social to reach out to you and it's not necessarily a review platform like TripAdvisor or a post a survey, um, you bet they're frustrated. Yeah. So if you have someone in-house dedicated to reviews, um, just keeping in mind, always looking at social and replying to those as well. Yeah. And I, I talked recently to, I'm not going to say the chain, it's a flag property here in Myrtle Beach. It's a, it's a four-star property. I was talking to the GM a couple of weeks ago, and she was saying how you know all customers are more entitled than they used to be. And they all have realized now that they have more power than they ever used to. Because when someone is unhappy, they have this weapon that they can yield and, and say, I'm going to go leave a review or I'm going to post on social media. So it's imperative, regardless of whether it's a, young person an old person somewhere in between that you're doing everything you can to make them happy knowing that you can't make everyone happy and knowing that sometimes someone's going to go leave a review that makes them look like a crazy person that's okay but you need to do everything you can to mitigate the risk of negative sentiment online by improving the guest experience in one of the best ways to do that we touched on this last week and we we're talking about triggered messages is sending communication to the person during their stay, like a mid-stay survey or a pre-checkout touch base where you just ensure that they had a good time or see if there's an opportunity to head off anything that before it becomes a problem. You can also send a post-check-in 
touch base, like have like the top, the top notch hotels, like the four seasons will call your room after check-in to, to, to make sure everything was satisfactory. And if it wasn't, they'll fix it because that first few hours, you know, the check-in process, moving to going to the room is going to set the tone for the whole stay. And if they have a negative experience or there's something that's not right and you let that sit and fester, it's going to affect their whole stay. But if you head that off, fix it right away, then you have a chance of winning over that guest. Yeah, having those in place is imperative. But at this point, it's become a job title to, you know, mitigate the negative reviews and feedback. Yeah, you definitely have to have... I mean, all the staff trained on, on it, but it, it is good to have someone that is, you know, accountable for that. Like the guest satisfaction person. A lot of brands will have that. Not, I haven't seen it so much at independent properties, although I think, you know, often that falls on the, the general manager or, you know, the assistant front desk manager or something like that. So, but it, pay attention to it. I think it's really important. But again, it's not a generational thing. It's It's a humanity thing. We all... I'm more entitled today than I was five years ago because I've been allowed to be, you know, and I know I have more power because of social media than I had. I've pulled that card out a few times where I'm, I've told people flat out, you fix this or I'm leaving a bad review. It makes me a terrible person, but it ended up working in my favor. All right. What's number five? five, 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 five. So highlight your dedication to privacy. So, who would have thought that people, not all people like to share personal information online? So it's basically saying when you collect data from anybody, be transparent with that data and well, as, be secure. As, as a generation Xer, I, I take all my data. I don't care. You can publish it everywhere. I mean, I've never cared about privacy, nor has anyone older than me ever cared about their privacy. Oh, no, wait, I got that completely backwards. We do care about privacy just as much as everyone else does. <laughs> My bad. Yeah, this is another one. This article, again, these guys produce some great articles, but this is the kind of content that gets a lot of attention because people are fearful of what they don't understand and they're fearful of younger people. But this is another no-brainer for every generation. You should, every single guest, you should be treating their data like the crown jewels that they are, right? They, they, you are privileged to have access to their data. It is their data. It is never your data. You are only given permission to use it as long as they say so. So you need to make sure you're doing everything you can, can to protect that person. Yeah, and this one rubbed me the wrong way because it stated highlighting your dedication, but it's not letting you know that you should tell people what you're doing to keep their information private. Yeah. On how you're going to use their information. Mm-hmm. I think that's key. And, you know, when you look at legislation like GDPR and the stuff coming in California, I mean, it, it's being put in place because of bad actors, because of marketers that have abused the data over the years. And it's it's forcing us to do what we should have all been doing in the, in the first place. Like, why, why wouldn't you want to tell someone up front, here's what I'm collecting, here's why I'm collecting it, here's how that benefits you and here's what you do if you don't want me to do any of that stuff you know what there's nothing wrong with that and that's the way to build a great relationship i mean can you can you imagine starting out a real like in person in real life 
relationship with someone where you were deceptive at the very beginning and you were taking stuff from them without telling them and you were going to use it for nefarious purposes to try to trick them to manipulate them to do whatever i mean that's what millennials (laughs) that's what we've been doing for years you know for years with data as a society and uh the backlash is happening you know because there is more transparency there is more consumer advocacy there is more attention paid to it because data is in more places is more prevalent than it was and you get these big breaches like you know with facebook or or and and cambridge analytica and stuff like that so this is top of mind and and there's degrees to which people care about data privacy but there's not a person that's going to walk into your hotel that says i don't care what you do with my data you sell it to anyone sell it to that nigerian prince and have him call me so i can help him get his 12 million dollars you know it's just yeah, it, it's a little silly that people are saying this only matters to generation alphas or Zs or millennials because it, it matters to everyone and it should matter to you because it's important. Yeah. <laughs> Preach, brother. Yep. So is there, is there anything on here that you felt like particularly resonated with you and said, yeah, that's definitely us as millennials versus other people? Or, or do you kind of share my thoughts, which is, this is just people in general and society in general. What do you disagree about? Uh, I just think everyone else is so slow to adopt. Oh, for sure. For sure. I think it still applies to them. Yeah. But like watching my, even my mom work her phone is just sad and embarrassing. I see it as just in general. I mean, I don't just looking at the selling experiences and even with videos, I mean, that's just what it is now. I mean, people want to see when you when they can see an experience or seeing a product being used and they can see themselves using that product or in that space. I think that's what people want. And that's what is always. Always been the case, right? Right. It, it's just the medium and the channel by which we can do that. It's, it's more changing. sophisticated because technology has evolved. And exactly. We can get more personalized with the, the method of communication and the message in the communication. So. I agree with you. I think people adopt technology at different rates. And part of that is age related and what they're used to. But do you feel like generation Z is going to have adopted this stuff that we talked about any more than millennials? Because I feel like millennials grew up with this stuff. So I don't feel like there's that advantage with generation Z. Like certainly with some X's and certainly a lot of boomers, Mm -hmm. I agree, but I don't think necessarily with, between you and no, Generation not. Z's. Yeah. Maybe maybe for the like influencer category. Yeah. If you're like at the on the backside of the millennial. Mm-hmm. Uh, just being like forty. Yeah. Like do I could you actively follow any micro influencers? <sighs> yeah, but not it's about stuff I care about. Like, it's not like makeup and shit, right? It's well, I it's weird. Not. It's like I don't call them micro influencers. It's micro just where I get my source of information. Yeah, like I mean, they're not necessarily, I guess, an influencer, but I mean, they have the following to where they could be. Well, they're an influence like they because do. they influence you, right? Because yeah. they influence I mean, your opinions yeah. and your thoughts and your. So. But like, I'm not, I'm not following those people for any specific type of information. Right, that's what I'm saying. Right. I'm just that's following them for entertainment, and then yeah, if that's they different. have a product that they're advocating for, I might try it. So do you, do you follow people like the Kardashians or Kylie Jenner? 
I do, but those aren't micro-influencers. No, but they're influencers, right? And it's a ent- form of entertainment that's different. I'm most likely not going to purchase anything that they are advertising. So who, give me an example of someone that, that you would so consider would an influencer. So I would do like beauty bloggers. Okay. Um, and specific to the hotel industry, there's a beauty blogger that I follow that lives in North Carolina. She came down to uh, Wilmington, which I already love Wilmington, but... I don't have a specific place that I stay when I go there. And she stayed in this cute little boutique hotel that really wasn't much more expensive than any other hotel in the area. So it was one of the first places I looked at for an upcoming stay to Wilmington. Gotcha. But you're following her because she's a beauty blogger. So beauty is something that you care about, right? Makeup is something you care about. I guess lifestyle, not specifically beauty. But Do you follow any of these families on, on YouTube that just post their life i have not adopted youtube at all really and i don't love video really mm-hmm. hmm. do you do you follow any of these families like anytime i look at youtube trending there's at least two or three of them as just some rando family we're pregnant or we're having a boy or that's i guess similar to the same person that i just mentioned she yeah. just started a youtube channel yeah. based on her pregnancy yeah I'm not the same way with YouTube as I am with other social media for other apps. Like YouTube, I'm there just for entertainment purposes. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I mean, I just I don't feel like I get influenced through YouTube. Is um, there a specific more, channel that you follow or subscribe to, though? I mean, there's a few. I mean, like Red Letter Media is one where they just review movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just inter- entertainment purposes. And I mean, maybe I'll go out and find a movie that they. Right, or so they're influencing you, right? Yeah, so because, I mean, something like that. Because that's something you're into. Is, like I watch Collider stuff for, for the same reason, right? I, I like the guys' opinions and girls' opinions on that. So it's all, it's all something that you ultimately have an affinity with that usually causes you to follow something. But I do agree that I think some younger people now follow people because they're quote-unquote famous, right, for being famous with no real interesting dynamic or unique value proposition that they're particularly providing so yeah interesting i feel like sometimes people do it just so that they themselves can become famous like if they can make a comment or something on a post for sure that's the whole goal is just to see how many likes they can get and yeah then then themselves will get a follow well for sure i think i think in in general people associate social signals with their self-esteem and with their value and their worth more so today than they ever have and i think that does skew more younger but again i don't think it's exclusive to younger people i think it's just the nature of the how they've adopted this technology i think on the flip side of becoming famous as a goal and it's kind of sad to say but gen z or even some millennials i feel like follow some of these micro influencers not to be influenced but to feel like they're part of something mm-hmm. you're invested in that yeah, you're person's a community life. yeah yeah which is inevitable right because humans by nature need to feel like they're part of some kind of social group and it's weird right like people will comment you know they feel like they know this person like it's their best friend but you've never met them before you've never had a conversation right. with them before but you know everything about their life right 
but it's replaced our real real life social interactions like a lot of people are more reclusive and don't socialize in real life as much so this has become their proxy for that and and it feels just as real i mean science would say it doesn't have the same benefits as having a real social interaction but it certainly releases the same chemicals in the brain that a real social deep connection can have so you know it's it's interesting it's definitely a shift and that definitely does skew more young but at the end of the day it all comes back to does this should this affect your marketing strategy as a hotel Uh, as again has nothing to do with millennials so if you're sitting there trying to figure out for your 2020 marketing budget how much you need to spend on millennials stop that line of thinking right now start thinking about each guest as an individual focus on behavioral targeting of every individual guest experience of every individual guest you know certainly you can use groupings of people as uh, a shortcut for campaigns i'm not saying you shouldn't right you can target certain demographics and certain behaviors and things like that but to arbitrarily paint a group of people based on just that one dimension of their age to me is ludicrous and you shouldn't ever do it it's a it's a it's a waste of money because you're never going to be efficient spending money painting that broad strokes there was an article that came out this week too i forget where it was but it talked about how there was a big difference between millennials in north america versus different areas in asia i'm like what were the differences? I don't even remember, and it doesn't really matter because guess what? There are different cultures and different societies, and you know, yes, they're going to be different. You know, like, like, what are you? Why are you telling me this? Like, this is not brand new information. Like, just because they're the same age, but they have nothing else re- relevant in common, why? Why wouldn't they behave differently? You know, and that's the same here. Like, a millennial from the deep south is going to behave very differently than a millennial from San Francisco. They just are. So just to stop labeling people with these broad brushes, treat everyone as individuals, not just with your marketing, but in life in general. Get to know your fellow man. That's what I say. Yeah, that was very, very philosophical. Yeah, I'm I'm like Aristotle. You you really are. Yeah. Quotes from me are going to be read out on a podcast in like, what was that? 100 years. No, that's like 2,400 years, right? Isn't he what, like 4th century BC? Specifically. Yeah. <laughs> but it won't be a podcast then because all information will be just injected directly into your brain. Yep. Yeah. And we're, we're probably all going to be in the Matrix anyway. Oh, did you see they're making a new Matrix? I did. I saw that. <sighs> Can they just reboot the second two? Because the first one was the masterpiece and the second two were just garbage. Yep. So. That would be great. I've never seen a Matrix. <gasps> I, had, I, I just lost my seat on the podcast. Millennials. <laughs> millennials. Well, millennials. In Alyssa's defense, I just watched The Matrix for the first time like three months ago. But I will say it was fantastic. Right, it came out, what, 99? How old were you in 99? Eight. How old were you? Same. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess you were too young to watch The Matrix when it came out. I was in college. That makes me feel old. I do remember my first R-rated movie was Armageddon. Was that R-rated? I think so. Really? Either that or that one and Deep Blue Sea. I watched them <laughs> both around the same time. When Deep the Blue shark sea. comes and yeah, gets Samuel Sam Jackson. Jackson. That's awesome. <laughs> wow. That's a fantastic first. Yeah. So, guys, being millennials, I was going to do a little pop quiz to see if you knew some things. Hit me. We know all the things. Do you know what a Betamax is? Isn't that before VCR? Do you know what a Betamax is? I do not. 
Damn it. So do you know I what a, I knew everything. Do you know what you, you know what a VCR is obviously you just said yeah. it, right? Do you have a VCR? Have you ever had a VCR? Yeah. Okay. So the the format for VCRs that one was VHS, right? But at the time, um, when it first came out, there were two competing formats. V, Betamax was one and VHS was the other one, and VHS ended up being the one that that won. But weirdly, this is really interesting, up until a couple of years ago, because part of our sister company in Telestrand, what it does is it does cable advertising sales, right? And so we have to schedule ads for cable TV. And the system they used to transfer the video content to the mainframe was Betamax still. So it, it lived in this weird little niche thing. But now it's all digital. But up until a couple of years ago, we still had a, we had a whole cupboard full of Betamax tapes because that's the only way we could transfer it. The pop quiz should have been what's a cupboard? A cupboard? <laughs> a cover? You don't know what a cupboard is? <laughs> is that not an American term? It's a baby boomer term. I was what do you cupboard, call cupboards? The cupboard is or cabinet. Yeah. Or wow. Yeah. You cabinet. call it a cabinet. I guess so. All right. I know yeah, I've never fact, referred to it as I a cupboard. I still have access to a VHS converter to a DVD. Nice. Wow. How about that? Haven't thrown it away. Do you, That's not a bad thing. You though. have an actual physical thing that does that? Mm-hmm. Can I borrow it? Because I have a, my wedding video is on VHS. And <laughs> I've never converted it to, to DVD. It's still in Pennsylvania, but I can mail your wedding video home. <laughs> oh, I might do that. It, my wedding video is terrible. We had the worst videographer. I hope he doesn't listen to the show. It was terrible. <laughs> but I would like to keep it because uh, tape eventually will run out. So do you ever have cassette tapes for music have you ever used those yes you have i used to record the songs on the radio onto a cassette tape so i could play them (sighs) you're such a generation xer (laughs) that's not something millennials should do did you ever have to get a pencil when it got kind of pulled out and use the pencil to wind one of the holes so that it got tight again i did (gasps) you're not a real millennial (laughs) this is shenanigans you did this is a reveal at the end of the show. Really, Melissa is a baby boomer this whole time in disguise. I am an old lady at heart. You are an old lady. You were saying before the show that you're you're a boomer and your mom is acts like a millennial. She does. That's funny. She's a child. That's cool. So we do have a couple of events that are coming up we wanted to announce. The first one, new in 2019, is the HSMAI Sales Leader Forum that advances the hotel sales discipline by elevating the knowledge and skills of off-property sales leaders when it comes to important trends, critical insights, and best practices. And, the sentence continues, what it means for leading hotel sales teams in today's landscape. That's good. HSMI is great. It's the Hotel Sales Marketing Association International, and they do a lot of great work. Put on a lot of great com- conferences on the, and I've attended the um, Digital Strategy Conference conference in New York a few times. Spoken at that, but this is a new one that they're putting on specifically for salespeople, people involved in the sales side. Um, so you should definitely attend that. Where is that, and when is that? That is in Frisco, Texas, at the Weston Stonebriar Hotel and Golf Club. Uh, from November 5th to 6th. Um, and then a couple highlights um, from the agenda, strategic conversations, tactical solution sessions. Um, a speaker, Cindy Novotny, I apologize if that is not correct, and Scott Edinger. Yep. Edinger? 
So we will put a link to that event so you can go register on the show notes, which is fueltravel.com slash podcast. Click on episode 120. But you can also go and Google HSMAI sales conference and you will find that as well. And then there's another event coming up. The Direct Booking Summit in Miami from October 22nd to October 23rd. Uh, And then it looks like we have... Uh, a discount for that yeah so, we'll, so there's a link in ours so you get a discount off of the tickets for that i think it's it's around 400 dollars for the two-day um show this is something that triptease puts on they've been putting on for a while there's one in europe they put on and then there's one here in the u.s each year um, i'm actually going to be speaking at this one this year so um if for no other reason than that you can come and meet me I'm going to be there for both days at the Direct Booking Summit. And that one is in Miami on what are the dates for that? October 22nd and 23rd. Yeah, so that's coming up soon. So if you want to get tickets to that, again, go to the show notes and there's a link there and you'll get a discount when you click on that that link. So hopefully I will see you there. And so that's our show today. Thank you, Millennial, the Millennial Edition. I feel privileged. I got to know you both a little bit better. I, I no longer fear you like I used to. I feel like you you will do just fine in this this society. I just hope and pray that the next generation behind you can do s- such a good job as well on future podcasts. But if they want to find you, Jeremy, somewhere on the interwebs, can, can they do that? Find me on Twitter at Jeremy Razook. And Alyssa, if this would be the first time you've given out information. If they wanted to find you. I'm also on Twitter at Alyssa Fate, but I think my last tweet was like two or three years ago. Okay. But you you can get found there. It doesn't mean you're going to respond or anything like that. Cool. You can find me on Twitter at Stuart Butler. You can find us collectively at Fuel Travel. If you don't want to use Twitter because fewer and fewer people are using Twitter these days, unless they're just filled with hate and want to rage against someone that doesn't agree with them, that's primarily what Twitter's become. Then if you just want to send us a good old-fashioned email, you can do that, info at fueltravel.com. Again, show notes, fueltravel.com slash podcast. Click on episode 120. And until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. That's all it is. It's just, just us friends sitting around chatting.